Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Not The Top 20 podcast. It's a really exciting episode. I'm feeling pretty lively about this one. It's a Q&A podcast. Um, we opened the floor to you guys on Twitter this morning and your questions were so good that we thought rather than picking and choosing one or two, we would just make it so. A Q&A podcast answering all the questions you've asked on, on Twitter and nothing else. So if you're going to complain that we've not talked about something you would have liked to hear, then make sure that doesn't happen again by following us at NTT20pod. Alongside me is George Ellick. I am Ali Maxwell and we have a fascinating situation at the top of the Skybet Championship. And that's where we'll start because 7,500 to halt a Villa blog account have tweeted us saying, can Villa chase down Wolves? Now, of course, this comes off the back of a real statement of intent. 4-1 it finished to Villa on the weekend against Wolves, their biggest defeat of the season, certainly their most chastening defeat of the season in front of the Sky cameras. And George... If the question is, can Villa chase down Wolves? Well, you've got to give a nod to the other teams involved as well because Cardiff, Fulham and Villa are doing something that we haven't experienced in the Championship for a while. A chasing pack on such good form, motivating each other and winning practically every game they're playing at the moment. So can Villa chase Wolves? Can any of the other teams chase Wolves? Will Wolves be caught? Wolves could be caught, yeah. And I haven't, you know, I've said the opposite for most of the season. But now... Um, after that second half against Villa, you've got to say that Cardiff three points behind, it's on. Uh, what I would say to Villa fans is, is despite that win, I think when you're looking at the league table, you should be looking just as much as at Cardiff and Fulham as you are at, at Wolves. Who cares about the, the league title? Genuinely, don't care. Why would you care? It's all about going up. There are two spaces available. And at, at the moment, it looks like there are four teams that can fill it. So... I mean, I personally still think that the Wolves will probably have enough quality to um, to turn it around. I think that teams have difficult patches during the season, and, and at the same time, losing away at Villa, whether it's four one or one nil, it isn't a, an aberration of a, of a result. Um, but having said that, it, it's going to have affected their kind of sense of invincibility, and we're going to learn a lot about them in the next couple of weeks. A further question that was sent in by James, who's also a Villa fan, he wants to know. I, I kind of. These questions are almost contradictory of each other because the first one is where would Villa be if Codger had been fit for the whole season? The second one is also what about Lewis Graben? Is he the best signing of the January transfer window? And surely if Codger had been fit for the whole season, wherever Villa were, Graben probably would not have been necessary. So uh, the first one, a bit of a hypothetical, quite hard to say. I would argue not hugely higher than where they are now, possibly a couple of points better off. But, but ultimately, Graben... He's right to ask the question, signing of the January transfer window. In terms of impact, Graben, who has four in his last four games for Villa, including some big goals. But of course, then there's Alexander Mitrovic, seven goals in his last five for Fulham. Scored both on the weekend, including a last kick of the game winner away at Preston. So uh, is it between those two? Let me float some other names at you, just so you've got the whole picture here. I was thinking maybe... Ollie McBurney, obviously player of the month for February. Uh, Mo Besic has been on some serious form for Borough, who are on good form themselves. Um, Marco Grujic as well, a, a great signing for Cardiff. And obviously Matt Target 
Uh, the Fulham fans have loved him already. So Graben, Mitrovic, one of the others, who do you think has been the, the signing, the most impactful signing from January? I'd say Mitrovic. I, th- I think the reason why is, is you look at this Villa team and I'm not sure that not having Kodja was the issues before in the season. I mean, if you look at the results, they're actually very good um, when Kodja was in the team, despite him only scoring one goal this season. But he, um, you know, he featured in, I think they only lost one game where he played and that was against Wolves. Um, but having said that, I think the, the turnaround of form for Villa has been, well, not necessarily turnaround, but just the improvement of form has been to do with um, a general Im- improvement of performances, whether it's John Terry coming to the fore, whether it's Jack Grealish finally. What a um, performance on Saturday for yeah, Grealish. Unbelievable. And, and and I think that's part of it. And I think that Graben has, has profited maybe from a better team around him. Whereas with Mitrovic, you feel like he is, he is the missing piece of the jigsaw. He is what Fulham have lacked for now for, for 18 months. And with him in the side, they are a totally different proposition. And I can understand why Villa fans would think the same with Graben because of the impact he's had and the goals he scored since he came in. But if you took Graben out and put in a handful of strikers, I think that he would be having the same effect. Whereas I think that Mitrovic suits what Fulham are doing to a tee. Even so, we were getting quite excited this morning about the fact that Graben, who is one goal off the top goal scorers, uh, that's currently shared Bobby Reid and Mate Vidra. Uh, Graben's one point, one goal rather behind them after his exploits at Sunderland at the start of the season and four and four at Villa, and we we, we were able to find nine to two uh, earlier. That was obviously using the odds checker website to find the the best value available. Great That's sign. gone now. Uh, four to one's the best Ali's, price. And he's millions moving the market as ever. Yeah, I'm always shifting markets, but with with Vidra possibly injured, possibly slightly out of form, possibly just not scoring at an absurd rate like he was earlier in the season, and, and with Bobby Reid as well, just tailing off slightly did have that hat-trick against Sheffield Wednesday and also just, just to say he's still there's still 4-1 about so mm. you know it's not a case of it's still a cracking bet that's that's each way terms or a third a fifth of three so you're, you're you know, only losing a couple of quid if he can get in that top three, which looks eminently like likely. Yeah, and and you know we're at that stage of the season where everyone's comparing run-ins, uh, and it's obviously with with this exciting top four uh, battle for the top two. Everyone's been comparing everyone else's run-ins, and Aston Villa's is pretty favourable. Fulham's, I think, the easiest out of the top four, and Cardiff's significantly tougher than the others with some big big games coming up against uh, their, their fellow rivals. So with that nice slate of games, perhaps uh, even more of a reason to, to have a look at, at Graben for top goal scorer there. Josh has asked about Middlesbrough, George. They've scored three goals in four of their last five, as in three times in four of their last five games. Um, Adama, Traore, obviously on scintillating form. Bamford as well. And Besic, as I mentioned, it has really made an impact He's asked if they're coming into playoffs as a bit of a dark horse. I would almost argue that the way that they're playing and, and their improvement under Tony Pulis, the, the power of individuals that they have at the club, would, would mean a dark horse, maybe not the right term for them. Obviously, there will be two of Fulham, Cardiff and Villa in the playoffs, you would have thought. So that's not going to be easy for them. But even so, I feel good about this Middlesbrough team now, which I hadn't said at all until about three games ago. Yeah, I, I think that um, my view on this Borough team is, is that Pulis has managed to get them a tune out of them in a way that we didn't necessarily expect him to. And maybe that's just because of the teams that Pulis has managed and, and the level he's managed at. I, I, something I said on the 72 on, on TalkSport 2 a couple of last week. Um, is if you look at the teams who, who Pulis has managed, I think we're seeing, especially this season in the, in the Premier League, the best way to manage a team outside the top six is to stifle and defend and try and win on the break. And teams who valiantly course forward, um, as we saw on Sunday with Bournemouth, uh, normally get picked off. 
And now he's in a, at a club where they've got attacking talent and they've got funds to invest. They are free scoring. And maybe it's right. just the case that he is someone who, who, who can manage a different way. Um, there's always been talk about him from fellow professionals that he's actually very innovative in terms of his coaching methods um, and not the dinosaur that the people think. So I think it's exciting. And, and, you know, you can be as sure as anything that if Middlesbrough do go up next season, we'll probably see him revert back to the, to the, um, to the kind of non-relegation form of management before. But, but it's something that's, that I'm enjoying. Well, it's worth noting that they, that's more or less what they tried uh, their last yeah. stint in the Premier League. And I'm sure the fans would rather, if they did go up, that they had a bit more of a go. But, you know, as you say, possibly unlikely. Regardless, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. I completely agree with you. And I think it's worth noting that while I was at the forefront of people slightly sort of um, uh, sneering when Pulis in his first few games in charge, you know, Rudy Justed was straight in the team, straight up top, let's lump it up. But, you know, it's fair to give him a, a bit of a nod here because with Justed out injured... You know, perhaps he had no other no other option. But this has not been Pulis ball the last few weeks. They're playing good stuff. Um, you know, Adama helps, Downing helps, Bamford is is on sensational form. And yes, they're still playing in a robust way. They, you know, they're they're still scoring from set pieces. But let's not laugh at, at this Pulis ball Middlesbrough team because actually they're playing some exciting stuff. And and in Adama Traore, we've got one of the most. You He's know, how to he, kick a ball. He in terms of in, in terms of that one stat, you know, dribbles completed. Yeah. He is probably number one in, in, in Europe. He's elite. Well, I think yeah, it's him and Hazard. Incredible. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Um, Freddie's asked, uh, we say this every year, but is Derby's end of season tail off going to be completed in the next few fixtures? Can Rowett bring them out of this slump? And is this trend a mentality thing amongst players or a failure of successive managers? That's a, a wide ranging question, that one, and, and pretty, pretty tough to, to say. What are your thoughts on Derby's drop-off and and how far it'll go, how worried you would be if you were a Derby fan. The interesting thing about Derby is that despite the fact they've had a few managers in recent years, um, you know, your Pearsons, McLarens, twice, uh, Rowitz, there's been, there's been a quite a, a um, has been a massive churn of players. Mm. Like the squad's remained quite um, steady. So you have to wonder if there is a mental issue. Uh, normally I take the view that these things are normally kind of coincidence if a team won't consistently lose away at the same team every year or year on year because they're a different team. But here it looks like there could be some kind of an issue. Um, but having said that, it, it's easy to say that now. Uh, again, uh, the, the Forest result obviously wasn't ideal, but there's no huge shame in drawing a game nil-nil away from home. Um, they're still in the playoff places and we could still be talking about a team that, that could achieve promotion this season. So I think it's important that Rowett and players alike don't don't give in to the idea that they're, they're succumbing to that mm. end of season slump already. I feel like the, the, the current run looks a lot worse, obviously in comparison to those around them. I also don't feel like the performances have been absolutely terrible. I mean, yesterday arguably could have been one or two up by half time. I'm not saying that they're that they're doing fine, that they're, that they're you know, well on course for a, um, a, a playoff final appearance or something, because it's not looking that way. But at the same time, they've not dropped off a cliff completely. They're not playing horrendously badly. I think that it's probably still one or two or maybe three games too early to call it a, a proper terrifying slump. Yeah, I agree. The other thing that, that was interesting is, is, and it's hard to say because you never know exactly about the resources of various clubs, but... I saw a Derby fan on, on Twitter say the other day, you know, Fulham signed Mitrovic in January, we signed Cameron Jerome. You know, they were probably 
quite a few points above Fulham at the start of, of that month and, and now well, well behind them. So that might be slightly too simplistic, but, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's and an it's, interesting point. It's also point. very easy to look back. I, I don't think if you'd asked me and you at that time whether or not Mitrovic was a, was a quite an obviously much better signing, we probably would have le- leant towards him. I mean, you would have, I, I don't know if I would have done. I mean, I, I saw Mitrovic <laughs> well, playing. Well, we, we very much disagreed about Cameron well, Jerome. I, I saw Mitrovic playing at times last season for Newcastle where he was just, just like really woefully poor and he's, he's obviously very young, but I, I didn't see the impact that he's having at Fulham being uh, the case. So it's easy now to say, like, why don't we get him in? But realistically... It's probably, probably also fair to say that if Mitrovic was playing for this derby team... Exactly. He wouldn't have exactly. seven in and, five and, games. And I'm sure, that, um, I'm sure that Cameron Jerome would have scored a few goals playing this Fulham team. So Yeah, I haven't got their performance data in front of me, but I do remember that there was definitely a point where Vidra, his 18 goals had come from something like... 25 shots on target or something ridiculous and, and they always seem to be you know really good good strikes from the edge of the box and, and while that not, that's not to take anything away from him I always thought for Derby they're going to need another way of scoring goals because at a certain point Vidras he's not going to keep this up and yeah. you know it's great after timing for me but they do look like they don't have that many other options, other ways of scoring, other ways of, of getting ahead. And that's an issue. Um, Andrew says, is there anyone in the top half, George, that you'd be looking at as relegation candidates next year? Or anyone in the bottom half you think could make a promotion push? I think I know who you're going to say. Yeah, well, they're just in the top half. Just in the top half. Yeah, Ipswich. Um, I think with Mick, they're always going to be a team that, that could spiral and I think that without Mick they're a team that probably will spiral unless they get the appointment right and um, I guess it looks more and more likely that he'll stay given their good position and their and their decent form um, but I, I still just find them a baffling team who surely you know I would say they, they'll either catch fire or, or not but I can't see them catching fire and I can't see them consistently maintaining um, a mid-table position so I think eventually um, something's got to give and uh, whether that's mixed tenure or or their ability to overperform, we'll see. What about the bottom half? Anyone there that... I kind of think there's a few candidates there and it's quite hard to tell at this stage, but anyone that you're looking at already as a, a team that could be up in the top half? Well, I mean, I think Norwich obviously have the, the potential to do it and, and the players to do it and the investment and arguably, arguably even the, the manager, even though he's having a torrid time of it at the moment. So maybe them, I think Forrest, another team who easily under Karanka could could turn it on. And a third one, maybe surprisingly, I'd say Hull, another team who under Nigel Atkins, I think that they're, despite the fact they're still involved in this relegation battle, I, th- I think that they're much improved from early, earlier on in the season. And, and given the players they've got at their disposal could easily, um, with a good summer, be looking upwards again. Yeah, that's, they'll obviously need to... Sp- probably need to sort out issues surrounding fans, owners, yeah. etc., and the and the large discord that, that they're suffering from up there. Um, to kick off our bottom half of the table questions, George, here's a cheery one. Sam reckons, or rather asks, is this the worst championship bottom eight ever? And will 40 points be enough to survive? That would obviously be an incredibly low bar to leap over. But is this the worst worst championship bottom eight ever? Let me give you one stat before you answer. And over the last 10 games in the championship, there are seven teams who have got less than a point a game in that period. Uh, that's more than League One and League Two, significantly so. And in that, in that seven-team group, the bottom three, of course, Sunderland, Burton, Birmingham, all of them on miserable form, but also Barnsley, who are just above the relegation zone, Sheffield Wednesday and L- Reading, who are not a million miles off, and Leeds, who have 
plummeted like a like a stone into the bottom half. So it's a it's probably a fair point. I mean, the the, the, the teams that has that have got ten or more points over the last ten games that haven't been mentioned here are basically Bolton and and Hull, and they're not a million miles above it. So just how bad are is this group of of teams down at the bottom? I think it's awful. Um, is the long and short of it and I think we consistently see every week the, the, the sheer kind of quality gap between the top 10 or so and, and the, these bottom teams and it's amazing that you you know as an outsider looking in you, you're watching the likes of Reading um, and Barnsley basically fail to pick up points consistently and, and you just can't really believe and Burton I mean and you can't believe they're not they're not well Burton are in amongst it, but, you, but again Birmingham who seem to lose every weekend or a win away from getting out of it. It, it um, seems unusual to have, as you say, that the gap between the top 10 teams and the bottom 10 teams so big. It, the second tier has always seemed like the most competitive and the one with the little amount of difference between the, the, the good and the bad teams. But I also feel like there's a massive... Um, it goes throughout the season where towards the end of the season I would say teams at the bottom normally seem to rally somewhat and the teams at the top start to drop points as we're seeing the likes of Bristol City and Derby doing and Sheffield United but now whether it's because the teams at the top are, uh, you know, have, a, have a pacemaker in Wolves I, I don't know why but there seems to be this huge gap and, and if you look at the size of the clubs as well I mean with the exception of you know, Hull who've got their parachute payments even though as you mentioned there are obviously issues at the club um, they're, they're just... I think the reason the championship was once or even a couple of years ago so tight was because there was a pretty level playing field whereas I think that that now is changing I mean you look at Wolves as being the obvious example but even the likes of Villa um, Middlesbrough are, are, are different beasts mm. to, to if you're looking down at the bottom there um, at Burton and then also the the, the, the fan on, well not the fan but the, the state of the, some of the clubs down there you look at Birmingham and Sunderland and Bolton as being three clubs who've financially been really struggling recently because of the, the lack of success and Sunderland and when they were bought were a functioning Premier League team and now Ellis Short is owning a club that's, that's that can't turn a profit and he's trying to sell and, he, and it's, it's, it's poisonous so I think we're seeing that now football, football clubs used to be a millionaire's plaything where it was impossible to make money now because they're businesses you're seeing investment in more clubs and feasibly they, they all can't be successful and as soon as that turns then it's very very hard to arrest a slide definitely interesting to see what's going to happen over the summer as you say at Birmingham and even a team like Sheffield Wednesday probably will be alright although some of their fans are not sure at all given their recent form uh, but just to see how these teams can react I mean Sheffield Wednesday have a team that was built for promotion and they're they're flirting with relegation and, and after the three-year period that they've been through in terms of, of expenditure, in terms of uh, money lost, they, they, they literally cannot lose any more. Otherwise, they're, they're going to be in real trouble with the authorities of FFP. And uh, so some interesting summers ahead. I mean, you touched on Sunderland there. Freddie's asked, are they in danger of doing a Portsmouth and getting relegated down to League One and even be in danger ultimately of being relegated down to League Two, assuming they will be relegated to League One, how far do you think they they can drop? I don't see why there's any reason why they well, they were not in danger of doing that. Um, why until someone buys a club or, or or you know I don't understand this squad in its current guise clearly wouldn't be one of the best ones in League One going by their results this season. So for that reason, why would they be good next season? I mean, that is one of our one of our one of our relatively semi-regular tropes is that for some teams relegation can be a good thing. Yeah, it doesn't feel like Sunderland 
really fulfill the criteria to fit uh, no, our, our sort think, of our own category that we've made up there I think I think Birmingham are a team who, who it would possibly suit yeah. um, maybe I mean I, I don't know how the, the churn of players would work with some of the wage bills they've got but um, but I can see them being somewhere. imagine hotter in League One it'd be amazing <laughs> um, but, but I, I do think that there's some semblance of attempted strategy to do well there if that makes mm. sense you know there was ambition there was ambition <laughs> yeah. in the squad that was created whereas at Sunderland it's desperate and there would, something would have to change massively I mean Sunderland fans listening to this who think they'd go down to League One and be able to just turn up and, and be decent would be in for a massive shock well you're absolutely right they don't have the, the players there for a start to, to do that of course a significant amount of their players are loanees anyway but They'd really, assuming that they, you know, that there's no reason to suggest that Short would give a lot of money to, to invest in the squad. So you'd be looking at the inexperienced players like Gooch and Honeyman, Asoro and, and Madger. You know, that, that would probably be the nucleus of the team. And of course, they're talented players, but probably uh, if you were to think that that's enough to, to fire you straight back up, you'd be underestimating exactly what League One is like. Um, the bottom eight, Sam, it, that was a really good question, actually, because... You know, just in 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 giving the answer, I've noticed that the bottom eight teams, none of them, no one's won more than eight games out of that bottom eight. Um, we've played thirty six, some of them thirty seven games. That's that's an absurdly bad record. I mean, it's really really poor. And and if whoever doesn't get promoted out of Wolves, Cardiff, Villa, and Fulham will be able to feel probably quite hard done by. You know, there are going to be three or four teams surviving in the in the championship that can count themselves very, very lucky and will need to improve massively next year, I think it's fair to say. It, it always makes me think back to that time Peterborough went down with 50 points. Unbelievable, <laughs> yeah. I always feel a bit bad um, for them there. Um, the Tyler Hurst end, just lastly on the championship, has asked, who are you backing to beat the drop in the championship? The Tyler Hurst end, obviously, uh, a fantastic Reading uh, blog and perhaps they're wondering if we think that they could get dragged into it. I said the other day, that I thought the bottom three will be the bottom three, even with Gary Monk having been appointed. I'm still not seeing anything to suggest otherwise. What about you? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, I think it's really hard to see how they pick up the points to do so. I mean, if you're looking at Reading are on 36 points with a minus nine goal difference, they're basically seven points ahead of the drop. And on seeing how those teams beneath them will pick up that many points, then Reading having to lose so many games, I, I can't see it. There you go. Thank you for your questions, everyone who sent in championship questions. One of the great things about the Q&A pod is, is that in leagues one and two, you can send in as many as you can and we've got plenty to get through here. So starting at the top of league one, Freddie's asked, if Wigan fail to pip Shrewsbury to the automatic promotion places, can we see them failing in the playoffs to a resurgent, let's say, Peterborough or Plymouth? Could they be another casualty of a third-place finish? Uh, teams who, who can get a bit burned out after potentially failing to reach the top two in the, in the final stretch. So he's talking about Wigan here, George. It's obviously... I think we're probably still sticking to our guns with the top two in League One. But, yeah, I, I you know, in, in theory, a Wigan or, a, or, or let's say a Shrewsbury as well, if they were to... Whoever drops into that third place, what's the? Does that does that make you worry? Let's say about well, I think a generic team's playoff performance. They're, they're different entities, aren't they? Um, I think that Shrewsbury would, Wigan would probably have a tougher time picking themselves up if they do fail to make the top two. I think they will um, make the top two, and then I think Shrewsbury, as you know, disheartening as it may be, to have been picked by two teams. I, 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 you know, it's a great, great uh, effort by them, and they'll go into it being 
the third best team in the league on merit. And mm. I, I, I don't see any reason why either team would be, um, you know, would struggle with their playoff push because they finished third, really. I, and I think that's that's almost a bit of a myth that you don't really see too often. I kind of think happening. with Shrewsbury as well. I mean, the Checker Trade Trophy is not necessarily the best barometer, but in that cup, they've done well this season. You yeah. know, they did pretty well I in think- the FA Cup. And, and they're a team throughout the league season who have kept it tight who have nicked close games who have seen out games once they've gone ahead I think that you know those are good good skills to yeah, have in I, a th- I think where you'd see it maybe make an impact is, is like with Accrington in League 2 a couple of years ago when Bristol Rovers scored in the last minute where, you've, where you are promoted in, yeah. in all but name and then you find out with a minute left to go that, you, that you've been pipped that's where I guess the mental issues may come in because it must be very hard to pick yourself back up again but yeah I don't see any reason why either would struggle I think they're, they are on merit in the top Five, I think the Wigan will in merit get into the top top two, and Shrewsbury will have a good crack at the playoffs. Jerry's asked, which is more exciting for us, the competition for the playoff spots in League One or the relegation battle? <laughs> um, a, a tough question. Just on the playoffs, obviously one of the th- one of the things that has made it slightly more interesting over the last few weeks is the appointment of Steve Evans um, at. Peterborough, uh, he said that he's fulfilled a 40-year dream and that this is one of the great moments of his life. It's got a very uh, strange Peterborough accent, hasn't he? He has he got knows. a very strange Peterborough accent. Yeah. Um, but a, a good win in their first game, four goals against Charlton, one of their playoff rivals. They're one point off the playoffs, one point behind Plymouth with a game in hand as well. So just uh, are you excited about the playoff battle in League One? I mean, Oxford are, are out of it now, but possibly in the relegation battle, that might affect your answer here. Yeah, I can't say I'm massively excited about either for, for very <laughs> different reasons. Um, I'm all, I, I think I'm most excited about the, the battle that we've discussed, and that's between Shrewsbury and Wigan. Um, it'll be interesting, obviously. I mean, I love the playoffs. It'll be great to see who gets in and, and, and enjoy it for that reason. I think that it's fairly strung out. So you're, you're looking really at a Plymouth-Peterborough um, tussle with Scunthorpe and Charlton either side, probably being the only two teams who can really get involved. So it's hardly exciting. I mean, if I was an outsider looking in at the relegation one it probably would be quite exciting but um as it is i i'd, I'd rather it was just over now to be honest um, mm. and because I, I i definitely think that rochdale will get out of it so i think there are two spots there well that was our next question are rochdale too good to go down says jerry and daily dale of course always asking about dale daily um has said will dale's games in hand help them stay up or will they burn oh. them out and send them down but you're obviously feeling quite positive yeah, yeah they'll be fine I, th- I think that they've what is it 10 of their last 15 games or uh, are, um, 16 games are, are at home um, they're a team who've won two on the bounce now without conceding a goal um, they're in the relegation zone on not on really on merit I wouldn't say I mean they've obviously had a, had a very poor season earlier on but uh, but you feel now, now like the, t- the tide has turned and I think the team's there are teams out of the relegation zone who have more chance of going down than Rochdale. Well, there are four teams who are shorter odds to get relegated. So the bookies agree with you there, George, there as well. The big thing for me with, with Rochdale was uh, they had that big win in midweek against Walsall. And a couple of the people, I can't remember exactly who it was, who, who was tweeting about that game, said that the, the, the absolute togetherness of this team, and I'm sure that the cup run has helped hugely, but, you know, Everyone celebrating when they scored goals, huge celebrations with the away fans after the game. And it, you know, if you're looking for for little things such as body language and team spirit, all these sort of intangible things that can make a difference in such a such a, a scenario, well, the signs are good for Rochdale. At the same time, seven wins out of 32. This has not been a good team in the league this season. You know, I don't think we should talk about them as if they're a there's some sort of top half team languishing at the bottom. Yeah, yeah but, no, I agree. But things are, are looking better. Gab has said, George, uh, what's the highest placed team 
that we think could go down in League One. Just to set the tone, uh, Bury, Milton Keynes, Dons, Rochdale and Fleetwood are in the relegation places. And within six points of them, you've got Northampton, Oldham, Wimbledon, Blackpool, Oxford, Doncaster and Walsall. Does it go all the way up to Walsall? Yeah, I, I think it has to go up all the way up to Walsall because Oxford are, are definitely in a relegation battle and they're only two points ahead of us and they've got two games in hand. So um, without question, I think the South End should should be fine uh, unless they embark on a terrible run of form um, and then obviously everyone else is clear. So I think, yeah, two spots, two spots still there um, and yeah, nearly half the table still thankfully um, scrapping to save their lives. Uh, interesting one this because we've talked about it on the last few pods and given that we probably brought it up for the first time what's it been now about six weeks ago Oxford still not appointed a new manager uh, Rob tweeted in to ask would Carl Robinson be the best choice for the Mighty Yellows and if so why I reckon there'll be a significant percentage of listeners who'll be a bit confused by the Carl Robinson to Oxford link so is it legitimate is it is it possible and again if so why Robinson for Oxford and why Oxford for Robinson I don't know if it's legitimate necessarily but with my kind of work hat on um, having seen a few of these betting markets and how they work normally when a manager like this which is so left field is, is kind of and there's no real reason to put two and two together um, is a short price favourite and remains a short period favourite and even gets backed into odds on when he's kind of even money favourite. It means that someone somewhere probably knows something. Um, in terms of why, I've kind of looked into it a fair bit and it seems like um, the takeover at Charlton that seems to be hopefully will come, whether it's in a month or in, in six, they seem to think the people who are going to buy the club will certainly want their new man, their own man in. Um, apparently also which I didn't know Carl Robinson still lives where he lived when he was MK Don's manager and, and, and travels to Charleston okay. so that would make sense from his point of view maybe jumping before he was pushed why he would leave a club who have playoff aspirations to go to a team who could get relegated that's anyone's guess um, no one really from the, our fan base knows whether or not um, Tiger our new owner has any money but if he does then I'm sure that would lure him um, I think as a fan, it's an appointment that I would welcome, given the, some of the people we've been linked with. Um, I know that Charlton fans at the moment aren't particularly enamoured with him, but I remember four I think a lot ago, of people aren't particularly enamoured with him. I, I think as a bloke, um, it's hard to, to really um, warm to the guy. But yeah, I remember um, for until Michael Appleton joins, um, wishing we had our horrible, prickly, nasty Chris Wilder at the helm still, mm. because when you've got a nasty bloke who's, who's winning you know basically when he's yours it's, it's quite it's quite nice sure <laughs> um but that you know four weeks ago when he was linked to the barnsley job i remember seeing a lot of charlton fans very upset about it hoping that he was going to stay um a few bad results later and they are bad results there's no getting away from that they all seem to want to drive him to the kasam so mm. and it's not it's not the easiest job at charlton as well i mean i'm not totally sold on it but having compared him to some of the other names linked I'm pretty confident he'd keep us up and I'm pretty confident that given the right backing he would make us into a decent force in this league as EFL managers go as well you know definitely someone who has shown 
um, the desire to work with and bring on young players at, at, at both the clubs that he's managed and Oxford, obviously, with no shortage of, um, of, of, of players who fit that sort of profile. Players, you know, always Deli Ali's name is, is dropped in, but I think of Aribo and Konza at, at Charlton now as well. And, uh, you know, those are, those are, as I say, the types of players that, that Oxford have got who I'm sure he'd be very happy to work with, I'm sure would look at his record and feel that, that he can help to develop them. And, that, and that's obviously, a well, certainly was a big part of Oxford's general style and game plan I, in the last I, few years. I, I, and who knows whether I it is I think that's now. a huge thing. As I, I hope, I hope, and I'm sure we'll learn this in the next few weeks, um, that at the top of Tiger's list and, and things that he's looking for in the new manager, bringing on youth um, is one of them because a lot's been invested and it's been very successful so far. So it seemed, would seem absolutely crazy to move away from that. From a, a, a club without a manager to breaking news, someone play the breaking news music. Another club without a manager. <laughs> there you go. Um, we did it. We did it. I mean, we didn't do it, but our, our great friends at One Pod Beyond, a, a Walsall podcast, they actually tweeted us earlier saying, Whitney, what do you think it'll take for him to get the boot? disregarding relegation. Nice to hear an outside thought. Now, we've spoken about the situation with John Whitney at Walsall quite a few times. Uh, an interesting one as an outsider it's always been because Walsall, to the naked eye, or ostensibly, uh, have never been massively relegation-threatened under him. And, and the suggestion's always been that on their budget, uh, he, you know, he's been doing a decent job. And, and that was definitely one side of, of the story. But within the club and the majority of fans, I should say, that we know, the ones that we talk to, the ones that we see, and perhaps not, uh, perhaps not 100% of fans, but there was, there was, a, there was an issue there, certainly, with, with the way they felt Whitney conducted himself as manager of Walsall um, with his tactics, with his style, or I think really with his lack of style uh, that he imposed upon the team and, and just general frustrations with, with, with a lack of progress uh, ever since he's been in charge, really. Anyway, he's been sacked, so we never got to answer that question, which I was quite glad about because it's been tough for us in the past to really get into the nitty-gritty without being a Walsall fan, without being at the games. Uh, but he's been relieved of his duties with immediate effect. I'm sure there'll be a lot of Walsall fans very happy about that. The appointment is obviously an important one. We've just touched on the fact that they are not a million miles away from the relegation zone. Um, but that's a 15-year association with the club, previously as a physio and with a, f a few other roles that, that ends there. And, and it's a, um, an end to what's been a, a relatively ugly tale, I'd say, over the last year or so. So it'd be interesting to see how both club and Whitney move on and whether we see him as a manager again or whether perhaps he'll, he'll return to a, um, a more behind-the-scenes role. Moving to League Two now, and we've got to talk about Accrington first because they're top of League Two. And um, I don't think anyone really saw this coming, let's say, a month ago, certainly not two or three months ago. Um, a, Accrington being the team to, to knock Luton off top spot. B, Luton being off the top spot seemed unthinkable anyway. Um, we spoke last time about whether we were seeing a bit of a bottle job from Wolves, um, from Wigan and from Luton. And I guess in slightly differing ways we are, but Luton have, have, have actually come off the top spot and that's, uh, that's pretty worrying for them, George. But let's focus on Accrington, the story and, and, and what it is for them to be top of League Two. How, why and how is it? Is it such a, a, a modern miracle as I saw it described the other well, day? Lowest budget in the whole league, isn't it? I think second lowest behind Morecambe. Poor Morecambe. Um, mm. Yeah, he's a miracle worker. Um, I think John, what John Coleman does at that club is just absolutely ridiculous. Oh. Um, 
I'd love to know if, if given time, he can make it translate into somewhere bigger or, or if whether or not he just gets that club, understands what he's working with, knows the, the local area and, and who he can target. Um, you know, absolutely unbelievable to go down to Luton. Uh, a, what is it, 92nd minute, Billy Key, um, kind of long range dribbler mm. into the far corner. <laughs> um, they, uh, it's, it's incredible. And if you look at the, the stats from their season, it tells the story in winning 22, drawing five and losing nine. It's just been a, this mad winning run mm. um, that's gone on for the last couple of months. And I'm personally just so excited to see them in, in League One next season and see how far Coleman can take them. Because as I mentioned earlier, they should have been up in League One uh, two, three seasons ago. So. Yeah, absolutely devastating that last day of the season. They couldn't beat Stevenage at home and Bristol Rovers' late winner took them up instead. Of course, they lost in the playoff semi-finals to Wimbledon that year. Uh, and that summer, Josh Windass and Matt Crooks poached by Rangers. They didn't get the fee that they would have got had they moved to a, an English league club and, and that really rankled as well. Um, last season, I think they finished around 10th or 11th, so had to sort of had to take stock a little bit, I suppose. And, and in that summer, again, you're losing Pearson, that their key defender has gone to, to Barnsley. Beckles up to Shrewsbury. McCartan up to Bradford, again, losing some of their better players. They've re rebuilt and gone again. And, and I think it's absolutely incredible. You know, there's so many different things to look at here. I would implore everyone to follow Andy Holt, the chairman on Twitter. The, the only way to get any kind of insight into what it's actually like being a League Two chairman. And I must say that he's definitely at the top of my list of, of people to try and get on the podcast to, to interview at some point. We're, we're, we're making some sort of moves to, to, to try and get you some more interview content uh, in the coming months. But they play brilliant football as well. You know, a lot of the League Two teams, and, and, it's, and it's not a disparaging thing to say because it, it, it's, it's tried and tested, but a lot of the teams towards the top are relatively direct. They do play, you know, route one football. I think you'd say that Wickham and Lincoln, especially, that these are... These are very combative teams and, and the style tends to work. What you don't see as much is a team like Accrington who, for the most part, are playing football on the floor, um, are, are playing sort of combination play with their front players. And that front four, Billy Key, Caden Jackson, Sean McConville and, and Jordan Clark, they all bring different things, but he's, he's found a way to get them play playing some seriously good football and, and they're, they're a joy to watch when they play well. At the back, uh, you know, Jackson, uh, sorry, um, Hughes, Donassian uh, and Jimmy Dunn obviously come in, loan, come in on loan from Burnley uh, and has just looked really good straight away. He was nominated for Player of the Month in League Two last season, so instantly successful. Um, Key, Jackson and McConville, uh, all three of them are in the top 10 for combined goals and assists in League Two this season. So those three playing incredibly. Accrington, top of the league, a fantastic story. George, Sam has asked, what are our thoughts from a Mansfield perspective on Steve Evans leaving the club and David Flickcroft moving across from Swindon very swiftly? What do we think about this? Um, uh, which part? I think that I can understand why Evans has gone. I mean, I know he's left them slightly in the lurch. I think it's a, a decent enough appointment. I'm not a huge Flickcroft fan, but I can see that he's probably functional. I think he got a, a what looked to me like a pretty um, bog standard Swindon team to uh, into the playoffs. Um, he's a, we've always said it. He's a streaky manager. But I've spoken to Mike Holden about it before as well, who I think uh, agrees and that he's quite an interesting character and it's when it's going well it goes very very well and when it goes badly the wheels do some somewhat fall off um judging by the start they've made under him that maybe he'll, he'll they'll kick off with a with a bang and, and force their way into the playoffs and and 
you know, I, I, I think I, it's an issue personally. I think it's a big downgrade. I think that really, it's so hard to replace. You know, you mentioned Mike Holden there, and and we obviously spoke to him on a on a really interesting podcast earlier in the season, and and. He's really interested in managers and personalities and, and the way that it affects performance. And he basically says that these days you can almost follow managers rather than teams. Be- yeah. Because of how important a manager's style and personality is on the results of a team, which, which is something that we all recognize, you know, you, you can actually, when a manager changes, so much changes. And I think trying to replace Evans's. <laughs> personality his ego uh, his ridiculousness uh, the squads that he puts together as well which can be fairly tailor-made to his you know desired style of play I, I just think that sometimes you lose a manager because the players have stopped playing for him and therefore it provides a bit of a boost because they're, they're they're happy again but this has come so out of left field I think probably for, for the Mansfield squad that I find it hard to imagine that they're going to be feeling particularly good about the managerial change. This is obviously all conjecture and I don't know anything uh, I think I, behind I, this. I, I think if I was a player, I'd probably quite like to swap Steve Evans for, for Flickers, wouldn't you? I just think there's something about him that, Evans, I mean, that, that sort of, you know, he, he creates he, that us against them mentality. But he, hasn't, but he hasn't really succeeded with that this season, I wouldn't say. I think, you know, it's easy to forget that they were, you know, they were favourites for the league. And yeah, I, don't, I, I still was convinced that they'd be promoted, even though they were only fifth when he left, I think. I still felt that even if it was through the playoffs that Mansfield would get promoted. I'm definitely not convinced now. Uh, we follow a chap called Ben Willis on Twitter. He's a Swindon writer and he's got some pretty interesting thoughts about Flickcroft, not hugely positive thoughts. And, and funnily enough, he was reading, he was tweeting about some of Flickcroft's quotes already um, from his time at Mansfield and saying, well, the, these are the same old tropes that we saw back when he was at Swindon and the, the relationship between Flickcroft and the media and the fans was, was not easy, even in his, in his short spell there. But, you know, Ben said he's already picking up on these familiar tropes, blaming the old regime for, 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 for some issues, making false promises, being just generally a bit unconvincing. So I'm not feeling that good about it now for Mansfield, I have to admit, and, I'm, and I obviously will wait to be proven wrong. But, um, yeah, I, I think that the playoff race gets more exciting because as I said I, I, I thought that they were a bit of a lock for that but not anymore and lastly George talking of the playoff places Khaled has asked us what we think of Exeter's form and their prospects do we think that they might have enough to, to, to burst into the top three do we think it's another playoff um, another playoff campaign for Exeter they've obviously got a few games in hand over the, the teams above them um, but looking at Ben Mayhew's ratings uh, a, a pretty much below average defensive team quite leaky really not great at, at limiting the opposition uh, and their chances and going forward actually not not scintillating either so uh, the, the performance data doesn't scream this is a team that's going to punch their way up into the top three but then again I think that third spot is very much up for grabs and, and they've certainly got some good individual players Stockley on his day is a real handful um, I, I personally am going to say no for the automatics I don't I can't see an obvious reason for a big uptick in results. Um, and although they have those games in hands, they'd need to really improve results as well to, to, to punch their way in. But in the postseason, in the playoffs, sometimes we, well, often we see a team, I think, every year probably in one of the leagues, a team that's, that was in the playoffs the season before learns from it or, or strengthens or uses the, the, the disappointment to come back stronger. And, 
and Exeter will have that on their side if they're promoted if they reach the playoffs. Any any specific thoughts on Exeter? Well, I'm just reading about Jordan Moore Taylor being out long term with a knee injury, so that's not going to help their defensive capabilities. That, that obviously Ben sees not being too hot either. It's also frustrating as there are rumours that he'd signed a pre-contract agreement with Oxford. So, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think this is a huge um, ten days from coming up now or eight days. Um, they, they, they host Yeovil tomorrow evening, which should be three points. They go away to Morecambe uh, on Saturday, which should be three points. And they go away to Port Vale, which should be three points. So if they can, you know, I mean, it's easier said than done, but if they can pick up nine points in those three games, suddenly they're going to be right in there. Um, and I think Tisdale is a manager who's, you know, he knows this league very, very well. He knows what it takes to go up. Um, if anyone can, can ensure that a team can give it their best chance it's him so I think come come next Tuesday after the Port Vale game we're going to know a lot more about the Sexers team yeah you touched on the midweek games there's plenty happening this midweek so we've tried our best to keep the, the, the questions and answers relatively specific so that not too much can change over the next few days but Please bear that in mind if you're listening post uh, post Wednesday. Um, thank you so much if you have listened, if you've got to this point and you've enjoyed listening to the podcast. We'd absolutely love it if you're able to retweet the podcast. We'll we'll tweet a few links. We'll pin that to the top of the page at NTT20pod. We are on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook as well. Just search for Not The Top 20 Podcast. And we think it'd be worth following because certainly between us, and 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 now sharing with you we have got some some exciting plans over the next few months and as always with these things you know we, we, we're going to keep them mostly to ourselves at the moment but please make sure if you if you are enjoying the podcast stick with us um, and hopefully you'll be rewarded so thanks very much for listening and until next time goodbye <laughs>